Well, good morning. It's so wonderful to see you all here in this worship space today. Whether you're joining us via live stream or you're here in the sanctuary, we hope you feel a very, very warm welcome. Uh, For those of you here in the sanctuary sitting on the aisle, I think you know what to do, but I'm going to remind you, please grab that friendship register and sign it and pass it. Well, it's hard to believe we're in the last two weeks of our summer series, Voices and Vision. We have Kent Dobson here with us today, and he's going to continue his series on Revelation. Thank you, Kent, for all the Sundays you've been with us preaching. Your teaching and your presence has truly been a blessing. Next week, Alexiana Fry will be with us, and then on September 12th, we have our fabulous fall launch Sunday and our Mayflower picnic, so I sure hope that's on your calendars. Children's programming and Elevate Youth Group will be up and running. We will welcome back our choir and my new interim co-pastor. I had to make sure I got that right. Interim co-pastor Steve Armfield uh, will be preaching and getting us started on the book of Acts. So we're excited to see all that God is doing through Mayflower this fall and beyond because we believe the best is yet to come. In this spirit of enthusiasm, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown to tell us a word about today's music. I'm so pleased to have the Potsman and Bill Clements here today singing some gospel music. Uh, hearing them rehearse yesterday reminded me uh, how much we have missed voices, a cappella voices in harmony. For a year and a half, we've rarely had that pleasure. So feast your souls today and prepare yourselves for the choir season, which is coming in a couple weeks. Uh, We begin our chancel choir uh, with a garden party this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m. And we would love to see any and all of you there. Um, both uh, singers and their significant others and their children. A garden party at Scott Bosher's. He has a pool. He has a bonfire, s'mores, all these enticing things to get you there to make music with us for the season. All right. Thank you, Julia. That should be quite a party. Um, Last week, I did announce that a longtime member, Lori Wood Lyons, passed away. So just a reminder that her funeral will be here Friday morning at 11 a.m. So now let's begin with our responsive call to worship. You will find that on the front of your bulletin. O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established. What are human beings that you are mindful of them? You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with honor and glory. Come, let us worship our majestic and glorious God.
please pray with me. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather in this space this morning to worship you. May we not take you for granted. And may we seek to live lives of worship. In all we do, may we acknowledge your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Amen. first reading is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. The word of the Lord.
Today's second reading is from Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, page 1411 in your pew Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Nice to see you. It's good to be back. Round three. I see some familiar faces now, so thanks for not running away, even though we're talking about the book of Revelation, which is a challenge. And um, I might begin by asking some questions that I don't really intend to answer, but might be worth your reflection on. And here's the first one. What kind of story is this? Like, what kind of story is this? The book of Revelation. How would you describe it? And a related question is something like, um, why is it being told? For what purpose? And the third question I think we might ask is something like, uh, is it still relevant? Why should we pay attention to this? It's strange. It's weird. It's sometimes misused. Why is it even here? I think I said this last week. Luther wanted it out of the canon. And you can see why. Unless you were just woke up this morning and just felt like reading about dragons and beasts and flying creatures and wars. And, uh, and now in these lovely passages at the end, rivers of life and trees I'm mentioning all this because we're out of practice when it comes to reading what we might call highly symbolic language. We're out of practice. We like to literalize everything. And that's, in some ways, it's a blessing and a curse. Maybe I don't need to go into detail on that. Uh, in, In other words, there's a great advancement in human consciousness that we call the rational scientific mind. But I want to remind you, there was no such thing as the rational scientific mind when John was on the island of Patmos and had a vision. It really did not exist. It's not like he came out of chemistry class and thought, well, you know, now I'm going to write the book of Revelation. No, the mindset wasn't there. The ancient mind had much more flexibility when it came to symbol and image and what we might today call vision Much more flexibility. So when I say symbolic, I'll give you a quote from Jung. So this is what Jung said about the symbol. It is the best possible image for, quote, a complex fact not yet apprehended by consciousness. That sounds kind of fancy, so I'll just say it again. A complex fact for something not yet apprehended by consciousness. So it's another way, another way of saying it is that a symbol is an attempt to say something that's very difficult to say, that has many layers, and we haven't quite apprehended the depths of the symbol. That's true for the person writing it, and it's true for the person reading it. So one reason why Revelation is still around is because we could say it's a complex fact not yet apprehended by consciousness. We haven't quite arrived or if you want a really simple sometimes overused metaphor not a symbol there's a difference it's like an onion and it just has many layers so that's a very simple way of 
trying to get at what I'm saying. So I'll answer the question, though you're free to disagree. Why should we keep this book around? Because I think there are still many hidden layers. That's why. And we ought to, from time to time, be confronted by its imagery and its language and its emotional tone. Just to be confronted by it. Instead of CNN or whatever. Just to hear something that comes from a different place. All right. Now, I'm going to do a review of the last couple talks. And then I want to try to say something about the very end of the book of Revelation. So, one of the things I tried to point out is that this whole episode happens when John, who's the author here, goes to the island of Patmos. And that's very interesting in and of itself. So, in a time of crisis of intense upheaval, of uh, fractures in the empire. These are all things going on in the Roman Empire. In a time of of intense persecution around this new Christian, I don't know if I would even call it a religion at this point. They would have called it, the Romans would have called it a cult. Some kind of Christian cult around this person that was killed by, uh, by the emperor. Under the authority of the emperor. Very strange. And it's interesting that John's response is, for some reason, Christian tradition he's, is that he's in jail. It doesn't actually say that. He's just on the island of Patmos. And he receives a vision. So it tells you something about, it's a clue as to when times are intense. Here's the question. Who are you going to listen to? Where are you going to go for insight to express your longings your disappointment your your grief your loss your confusion and the little clue is sometimes not in the middle of town sometimes to pull away from being inundated with all kinds of cultural information john goes to the island of patmos and he has a vision which is about as old as you as as you get when it comes to what we might call mystical revelation. These tend to happen when men and women pull away from culture and are quiet. Though the content of the vision is quite disturbing. (laughs) Sometimes we think, hey, you need to get away so you can rest. Yeah, be careful. If you get away, you might be confronted. So I'm only mentioning that because... I'm trying to get at a kind of question. What happens during times of crisis? Where do you go and to whom do you listen? And I'm suggesting there's a little clue here. Maybe solitude, silence. The island of Patmos is basically a desert. It's an interesting terrain to deepen one's questions and one's longings. So that's kind of what I was hinting around at. Week one, along with a few other things. Where we went after that was also related to a question, also from Jung. And his question was, are we related to the infinite or not? Are we related to the infinite or not? Is this all there is? Like your 401k and, you know... What kind of gas mileage you get and, you know, ordinary, everyday sort of interactions. I'm not minimizing those. I'm just asking the question, yes, but are we related to the infinite or not? And that's the bursting forth of Revelation chapter 4 and 5, which is a vision of a throne and a lamb and the infinite And the elders surrounding that. It's like peeling back the curtain of reality. That's what's happening for John. He gets to see behind the curtain. But instead of like in the Wizard of Oz. Where it's like a a little trickster man. You know pulling levers. He sees something else. And it's like oh. In the face of the most powerful empire. That had ever been on the face of the earth. That's the Roman Empire. There's something more than that. There's something transcendent, and that's John's conviction. That's what he's confronted with in his vision. And why would we want to pay attention to that? Because our culture screams, this is all there is. The material things that we have 
is it? And the book of Revelation says, I think not. So it's, it's worth from time to time letting the vision kind of wash over our consciousness and what we think is true in the world. I forgot to look at the time so I don't go on and on. All right. We got plenty of time. Okay. Now, I'm going to summarize something in a kind of an unfair way, but it's just because of time. From about Revelation chapter 4 and 5 on till, till the end, which we'll look at in a minute, it's basically a massive confrontation between the forces of good and evil. That's what the content is. It's a clash of ideas and ideologies and empire and Christ versus what could be called the Antichrist. Meaning, don't, don't literalize that for a second. Just think about it as an image for Christ or against Christ. What happens when these powers collide? And John has a little clue in there. He's, he does say to those who are reading this book, this is a really hard time to be alive. This calls for patient endurance. That's what he tells his listeners. He doesn't actually tell them to go to war or something like that. He's describing a kind of cosmic war, and he's telling the, the followers of Christ to be patient, to let things play out, to see what happens, that larger forces are at work. And in a way, he's saying, be a force for good, but not in the way the Roman Empire is defining the terms. It calls for patient endurance. So there's a confrontation. That's what, partly why we're uncomfortable with the book itself, because there's so much drama between chapters 5 and chapters 20. In fact, some of you may have not have even read it before, or you haven't heard that many sermons on it. There's a reason. It's, it makes us uncomfortable. But part of, I think, what makes us uncomfortable is that these forces are real. Would you agree that they're, even if you don't like extremes, would you agree that there are very challenging things going on in our world? C- c- clashes between what we might call good and evil. Yeah, I would think so. That seems obvious. And the book of Revelation is, is not uncomfortable with that. It says, yep, that's the way it is. So how do you want to be in the world? How do you want to be in the world? What's ultimately true in the world? Even if you're suffering, what's ultimately true in the world? Those are questions I think he's carrying. Now, I'm going to give you a little um, uh, P.S. here. It's tempting to only see this book as an externalization of the forces of good and evil. All right. Here's what I mean by that. We're going to look at the world and we're going to decide which nation, religion, ideology, force is the good one and which is the bad one. Which is for Christ and which is anti-Christ. Externalizing everything. It's very tempting to do that. To say something like, well, let's just go nation by nation and pick the good ones. Or nation by nation, or force by force, and pick the evil ones. But anyone who's been around for a while knows it's much more complex than that. Every nation is a mixture. Every, I'm sure not this church, but most churches are a mixture. Okay? Because we're a mixture. We're kind of mixed up. So, I'd like to suggest something that... Here's, here's something I think is quite radical. What if you thought about the book of Revelation both as being a dis- description of the external reality and the inner reality? What's also true in our own hearts? Let me put it even more directly. What is for Christ? What is anti-Christ? What cooperates with the way of Christ, this cosmic vision? What cooperates with the empire, to put it in terms of the book itself, Revelation? which is about greed and possession and goods and trade. I read that passage last time. Even the buying and selling of human beings, that's slavery. What part of us cooperates with that? What part of us doesn't? See, I think this is the most radical reading of the book of Revelation, where you say it's external and internal. Let me put it in contemporary psychological terms. 
If you don't look at your own shadow within, you're going to make a mess of things. If you don't look within and say, hmm, part of me is for Christ, part of me is anti. If you don't really look at that, you're going to make a mess of things. And you're going to go around externalizing everything, saying those are the good people, those are the bad people, that's the way it is. Of course, anyone who ever does that always ends up on the good side. You know, it's like, well, at least I have things figured out, unlike my neighbor, that kind of thing. So I'm just saying, just a little seed here that I'm trying to plant. You can read this book both externally and internally. What's, after all, this comes out of John's own psyche. All these creatures and beings, and they're in there, in other words. Okay, so let's talk just briefly about the very end of the book here. So there are two main images, and we just heard them both. The one is a new Jerusalem. It says very clearly, this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. What an odd way of putting it. Comes down out of heaven from God. And the point of it is that now God dwells among human beings. It is um, what we might call the end point of a word like incarnation. Oftentimes we think about incarnation relating to Jesus. We say, oh, he's God in human flesh come down among us. But Revelation takes that all the way to the end and says, no, no, no. That was just a seed that got watered that's now growing into a city, which is God, the images. God now dwells among human beings. It's incarnation on the ordinary, everyday level of human existence, not just specialized with the person of Jesus. So the new Jerusalem, if I can put it more simply, is when God dwells on earth among his people. Do you see how um, earthy of a vision that is? It's not like there's a new Jerusalem and we'll all get sucked up there like with a giant vacuum cleaner and get away from this place. That's not the image. It's the opposite. God says, okay, I will dwell in what's called a new Jerusalem among my people. Now, to make things even more complicated, there's also a tree, which harkens back. I'm sure you recognize that it's the tree of life. It's a he's retelling the Genesis story. There are two trees, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then the, the tree of life. And they're not supposed to go near the tree of life. It's off limits. And so John takes this off limits tree and says, well, this is in the middle of the city. And listen to what he says about the purpose of the tree of life. He says it bears fruit in the 12 seasons, which is really how the ancient world organized the year, obviously, these, as we still do. And then it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. So wait a minute, time out, time out. So the book ends with an image of a new Jerusalem where God dwells among his people on earth. And the tree of life is not for, like, the good people. The us versus them, it's for the healing of the nations. That is a very radical claim. After, I mean, you could say 15 chapters, if I read it from a historical point of view, of railing against the Roman Empire. This is the kind of book, by the way, if you had, you would be killed for having it. It'd be like possessing a book that just railed against the government. And if you read it, you thought this person's going to overthrow the government. You know what we do with people like that? We put them in jail. You know what the Romans did with people like that? They killed them. So after all that, elevating the tension, he says, you know where this story is heading? It's for the healing of nations. It's for the coming together of human beings. It's for healing the splits and separation. That's the shalom, to use a Hebrew word, that's intended here. It's the healing of our own splits inside. Like what I was saying before, part of us is for, part of us is against. What would that be like to heal that? 
Part of this, part of our culture is for, part of it's against. What would it be like to heal that? So I, I find this image both challenging, fascinating, and worth longing for. It's taking the idea and the image of Christ all the way through, not into just a privatized, I get to go to heaven and you don't, but into a much more um, global, local, earthy kind of vision where wouldn't it be amazing if nations that went to war against one another sat under a tree and experienced some healing? That's where John's saying the story is going. So I, I don't know. I guess in, in conclusion, uh, maybe I'll just end with a little line from T.S. Eliot. So T.S. Eliot says these are hints and guesses, hints followed by guesses. So you might want to ask yourself, what hint, what guess, what clue might I carry from these ancient words into my sort of ordinary, everyday, mixed-up life. Thanks for listening. Ushers are going to come forward in a moment to collect this morning's offering. May our generosity bring us great joy and blessing.
May our gifts, tithes, and offerings continue to bring you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. You may be seated. Can you hear me in the back? Wave. Yes? This is always an issue when I come down here to take prayer requests, so hopefully you can hear me. So it's time for our congregational prayer, and I wonder, do we have any special prayer requests this morning or notes of praise to share? Okay, so uh, this lovely woman said, I'm a visitor, but I have a prayer request. So isn't that wonderful? We are so thrilled you're here. We are. We're thrilled you're here. Welcome. I hope you feel a very warm welcome. And thank you for sharing that her niece, Denise, is going through cancer treatment currently in Texas. Right? Did I get that right? Okay. So we have a niece going through cancer treatment. You said what? Did you fill out the... Friendship register? Okay. All right. Shirley's making the connection that we're going to get them in the loop. So, yes. Okay. Dave Cook passed away last evening. Dan wanted us to know that. Okay. We'll pray for the Cook family. Somebody needs to be writing these down, please. <laughs> I can't remember them all. Okay, we have a prayer. Isn't that wonderful? So Andy had a friend in need. He couldn't meet that need, but two other friends immediately did. So that's the power of community, right? But sometimes it's not us, but sharing the burden and letting other people step in. So thank you for sharing that. That's a praise. I saw another hand. Is that you, Linda? Okay. Yes. Families suffering over the last week. I don't know about you, but when you open the news and or watch the news, or I open it, you watch it, um, it's hard to not feel like we're in just unprecedented times, right? Right? So what do we do when we feel overwhelmed? We give it back to God. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. A lot of brave people have given their lives, for sure. So I'll ask for forgiveness if I don't remember all of the prayer requests and praises, <laughs> but they've been shared openly, and I'm so, so, so grateful. So let's... Uh, Let's just join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, I'm just so uh, filled this morning with all of the stories here, with the words that Kent spoke and the music. We have so much to be grateful for. But we also know there's been tremendous loss. For so many people, this has been a season of grief and loss. The Cook family and the Crandall family, those in Afghanistan, the devastation there is overwhelming. And we think of this precious niece uh, named Denise who's going through just treatment for a terrible cancer and we ask that your arms of love and mercy and grace and healing surround her. And we thank you for the note of praise that Andy shared that sometimes when a need arises and we can't meet it, our friends can and we celebrate that sense of community. We pray to be that kind of church that steps in whenever we can and we share those requests freely. And Lord, I was reminded this morning that this is the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. 
and New Orleans is battering down the hatches awaiting another storm that's just impending on their shores. So we pray for those who are still not fully recovered 16 years later who are now preparing for the next onslaught. We pray for that city and those people. And Lord, we recognize that for some of us, we feel like we've suffered through Katrina. Maybe some of us have had 16 years of hardship and now just another thing knocking on our door and we think we can't handle it. But Lord, we know you can handle it. You can handle all things. So help us have trust. Help us to have faith. Help us when we don't have belief. Help us to come to you with our burdens and our joys and our sorrows and our pains. And as we're reminded this morning, we can be for Christ or we can be against Christ. So may we, as people in our own spirits, be for you, walk with you. And may we, as a corporate body and a church, do the same. And may we collectively follow Christ together so that we make such a difference in this hurting and broken world. I thank you for all the hearts gathered here this morning. What a blessing it is to worship together. And in this spirit of worship, may we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from
invite you to be seated actually for the benediction and then for the uh, the singing of a benediction following mine. So I'll end with what's called Aaron's benediction, or uh, it is one of the oldest benedictions ever found on a tiny silver scroll uh, outside of Jerusalem, about 3,000 years old. Here are the words, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you shalom. Peace be with you. Thank you.